fill us in ways that we can partner with him to do the kind of works and things he wants to do in and through us. It's all about his presence. What does it mean for us to be a people of his presence? Because when you are in his presence and you walk from his presence, his presence has an impact on others. In your own family, it has impact on your own life and changing you. It has an impact on people that you go to. You change the actual environment and atmosphere that you walk into. And so we want to look at prayer through this month, and we want to start these first few days intensively praying. And I'm praying, however you choose to fast, that you just come before the Lord and say, God, this year we're asking that you, I'm asking that you, would show up to me in ways where I can know you more fully and and live more honestly and authentically in your grace and your love and be able to be that kind of person to other people. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would teach us to pray. Jesus, we invite you to speak now and to send your Holy Spirit that we would have ears to hear, that you would speak to our hearts wherever we are, whatever is going on, whether we're here for the first time and it's new and we don't even know much about a church or we're here for many times throughout this last number of years we come before you and we ask that you would make your word come alive to us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Years back when I was younger, there was a verse of scripture that got a hold of my heart and actually changed some things, and I won't go into the whole story, but it was one time when I was memorizing and I was running and and it just hit me and landed on me in a way that has had an impact on me ever since. And it's a prayer that it's just a verse that's found in James chapter 5 verse 16. And it's this simple line, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And I remember as I was running, thinking about it, and um, as I processed it, I thought, you know what, it, I'm not really that righteous and in my mind for going through that. And Jesus goes, no, you aren't, but I am. And so you come in my righteousness, and you get to come to my presence in that way. And because of that, as you communicate and you converse with me, and you walk with me and talk with me, we have the ability, because of my resources and who I am, and because of your prayer and dependency on me, to effectively, powerfully bring about change in your own heart and life and change in your own family and change in the lives of those around you. And uh, it was out of that that I began to, myself, really seek to press into this whole understanding of prayer and have made it an important part, I believe, of not just my own life, but we as a church have just seen God develop on prayer um, ministries. I'm so grateful to Andrea who oversees our prayer ministry and, and all that God has placed in her heart and so much of that comes through the passion that God has given her. But I have to tell you, there is something about it when you see people pray. It's said that John Knox was a man in the 1500s who loved God and was beginning to walk with God. And in that time, at one point, he stood on the top of a mountain and he said, God, give me Scotland or I die. And it was soon after that, because you have to understand, in the mid-1500s, there was a battle between the Catholics and Protestants, and and the French Catholics came into um, Scotland, into that area, St. Andrews, in that area where he was, and, and they took him, slave, and a whole bunch of others, and for two years, he spent two years, and he didn't wasn't doing the P.J. Fleck, row the boat, kind of encouraging chant lightly. He was actually a galley slave in the bottom of a boat, and he was rowing the boat. 
and he nearly died. And he left there and he went to Europe and he had heard that God was moving in a place called, in Switzerland, in a city called Geneva. And he went there and he saw people who came before God in prayer and their prayers were powerful and effective. And in his heart, he said, that's what I want to be. And, and people who look back, because he was a person who brought about the Scottish Reformation and revivals that took place there, and God used him in a marked way. But they look back and he said, he was an okay preacher, but man, his prayers were powerful. Really powerful. It said that Mary, Queen of Scots, who was a lifelong enemy, she was a Catholic, lifelong enemy of Knox, said that she has stated, I fear John Knox's prayers more than all the assembled armies of Europe. When you're around people who seem to engage with God in such a way that they know him so personally and they can talk with him so freely and and they understand how important it is to set apart times to actually pray, you, you kind of begin to start asking yourself, what's going on there? What do they know that I don't know? And I think the disciples had a similar yearning. Stephen mentioned that at at prayer. At at a certain point, they see Jesus, and and you have to understand, they have an understanding of this. So at a certain point, they come to him in verse 1 of chapter 11. They say, one day, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, now you have to get the picture, I think what's going on, they're probably sitting there, and they're watching. They have seen Jesus over the years. Over the last year or two, they have seen him again and again. Luke tells us that Jesus would often withdraw into lonely places where he would pray. They would watch him go off. Mark says in Mark chapter 1, verses 34 and 35, it says that after a whole day of ministry, Jesus is he's first teaching in the synagogue. And then after the synagogue, he goes to Peter's mother-in-law's house and he heals her. And, and then he gets a few hours of rest. And then sundown hits and Sabbath is over and people flock. It says all of Capernaum was at his doorstep. I just go, that's amazing. Can you imagine Plymouth showing up at your doorstep? And Jesus spent the rest of that night healing people and praying for people and seeing God work in miraculous ways and the disciples are just impressed and they've had a great day of ministry and they're thinking we'll start the healing explosion ministry here in Capernaum and build headquarters and everything else. They go to bed, they're all tired, Jesus is tired. They wake up the next morning, they're ready just to kind of take a break. Come on, you know, we get a little time for all that hard work the day before. They get up, they look, and they see. Because they're probably in this living room. You know, Those homes weren't that big, so they're probably all laid out somewhere in the living room. And they look over, and where Jesus went to bed, he's not there any longer. And it says that Jesus got up very early in the morning while it was still dark, and he went off to a solitary place to pray. They noticed that. They noticed that when Jesus stood before a crowd of 5,000 and he held up some loaves and fish and he prayed and they saw the miraculous transformation take place. They noticed when Jesus went up, at least three of them did, James, Peter, and John, they went up to the top of the mountain and Jesus prayed and as he's praying, he transfigures and this glory shows up and beside him are both Moses and Elijah. And so you get this picture, these guys are going... Jesus is over there praying, and they see him. And they're going, you know, you asked him, Thomas. No, 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 you, 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 you know, they don't tell us who asked him, but finally, as he comes out, they said, someone blurted out, teach us to pray. That's my prayer for us as a church. 
that we would fall in love with a relationship with God that is so conversationally active and alive that we we take time to get away in our own quiet space and we, we get alone and we pray and we converse with God. We also go through our day and we're in conversation with God. And we're seeing our prayers as being powerful and effective. I'd just like to ask, how many want to do that? You don't have to raise your hand. But how many want to do that? We, we, God's doing great things. We love how God is touching lives. We've heard stories of just recently of, of, of someone who's just come to faith in Christ through the ministry that God is doing here. But you know what? We have barely scratched the surface. But if we're going to go deeper, it's going to be because we become people of prayer. And we seek after God with all our heart, and then we find it. What you'll find in this parable, again and again, they're seeking after God, and they're seeking after him, they find God is a little different than what they thought. So Jesus begins, and he begins in these first verses um, 1 through 4, specifically 2 through 4, and he basically addresses them, and and he's going to teach them some things. He says, here's what you need to know. I want you to know this. As a follower of me, their lives have been so changed. They had seen things, God do things. They had actually been sent out, and they themselves had healed people, and, and they'd seen God work through them. They knew their lives were changed because of Jesus. And Jesus says, because of me. And if you know Jesus, and because of Jesus, and the righteousness that you receive from his His love for you, from the cross, and the and, and the removal of all your sins, and, and a new dependency that you have, a new heart for God, if you have that kind of heart, he says, I just want to tell you this. When you come before God, your Father, I want you to approach him with incredible Incredible confidence. I was um, about 20 years old, and I had gotten a traffic violation. Obviously not my fault, but no. <laughs> and I was feeling like, you know, this isn't really right, and so I decided, never done this before, I'm going to contest this. Okay, so I'm living in Illinois, and I'm going to my trial with a friend of mine who was in a car, Cook County Court System. 30-some people, there's at least 30 that go before me, and I'm the second to the last person. Only one person has the judge let off. And I'm thinking, I'm staying through, this is like two and a half, three hours. Are you kidding me? I know I'm right, I'm going to go up. I go up to the bench, I, I mean, and the guy's sitting up here. And folks, I couldn't control my mouth. <laughs> I was so afraid. I was so filled with a sense of awe and respect. Blah, blah, blah. And I finally, you know, I don't know, the judge was kind. I finally got out what I needed to say. And and he asked the police officer, long story, and the police officer didn't have the right side. And he goes and he threw it out. And so I, I actually won that case and then went into law for the last, no, I didn't. Um, <laughs> I just say, what Jesus is saying is all of us live deep down within us. Not only people around you. Don't, you don't have to look at people at work who, who maybe have these different stereotypes of God. We all live because of our own sense of shame, because of our own sin. We all live with this sense of a God who isn't the kind of God Jesus says we're to come to. He says very simply, and he, he shortens his prayer. He says, I want you to come before God boldly with confidence because he's your father. 
If you want to pray like me, you need to go before him like me. And you go before him like me because I've made you like me by giving you life and forgiveness and grace and all my goodness poured out. All that you've experienced in me, that's what the father wants for you. So he says, call him dad. Call him Abba. Call him daddy. And when you stand before daddy, do like every little kid would say, how will be your name? Make your name so great, dad. We want everybody to know you're the greatest dad in the world. And then he moves from how will be the name and he moves into, and, and, and may your kingdom come. Which, you know, in our day we don't have a lot of kingdoms, so to speak. He's basically saying, you know, you're the ruler of all. We would love it if your will, your rule, as dad, loving and good and gracious and yet holding people to truth and being holy and righteous. We're, we're praying not only that your name is made great, but we're praying that we would live in such a way that heaven would begin to express itself here on earth. We really want, God, for your will to begin. I want to be a participant with you, God. I want to be a partner throughout my life. I know I'm going to blow it. I know I don't do it well. I know that. But you know what, God? I want to follow you like you said, Jesus. And I I want to become a partner who allows for your will to begin to, to reign all around earth the way it's reigning all the time in your presence in heaven. The way that angels respond to your bidding, I want to have that kind of heart. And then Jesus says, here's the things you need to know. Your father loves you so much. He's going to give you what you need daily for bread. He's going to take care of those basic needs. He's going to forgive you because he knows you need it. But you know what? You need to turn around and do the same for others. And then he says, he just kind of concludes and says, and he will lead you not into temptation because he knows that you're going to wander off. You're going to get lost. You're going to get into places that aren't going to be good. And, and so you can pray, deliver me from these foolishness of my own heart. And he's basically saying, You should come before your father and know he loves you so much. He is so gracious. He is so safe. You can be so secure in his presence that you can stand before him and you can boldly just say, God, here's what's going on in my life. Here's how I want you to pray. I want you to live that way. I want you to experience your father that way. All prayer, he's saying to his disciples. Remember what was your question? Teach us to pray. All of prayer flows from that relationship. Now, I think it's really interesting because I've preached this message many times just a few years ago where we were preaching on the Lord's Prayer that it caught my attention, but because we had other things I was going to be moving on to and preaching, I didn't follow through on this, but now we're going to follow through on this. When he says, teach us to pray, and he goes through those first four verses approaching God with confidence, he does something very interesting. I used to think that, you know, it stopped at four and that was the end of the teaching. But if you look at Luke and he goes into verse five, you'll find there's a shift from four to five. He tells a story. And you have to ask yourself, why does he tell a story? Why at this point does he say, here's what the, you know, here's how your, your identity in Jesus, your position before God, you can approach him with confidence. And then why is he going off into the story? Jesus loved to tell stories because in telling stories, he could help you, you know, not be so direct, but you could find your place in that story, right? And so as he starts telling this story, he, he makes a shift. He moves from my approaching God with confidence in my needs, give us and forgive us and lead us. And by the way, I was, just think about this for a second. Kids who are really secure and confident in the presence of their, their parents 
can play really well, can't they? They can really enjoy life. That Jesus wants you to live that way. He goes, I, you know, I just don't want you to care. You know, you're like a kid before the father. I, I don't want you to carry all the worries. That's that's I'm your father. It just no, I'll provide for you. I'll forget all those things. So he gets there and he moves and shifts from from give us, forgive us, deliver us, and now he starts moving into praying for someone else. It's almost he moves from the shifts of what I need for the needs of others. And he tells this interesting story. So if you continue on, you'll see that in Luke chapter um, 5, he says, Then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at mid- to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine is on a journey and has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And if you read on 6 through 8, and suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me, the door's already locked, and my children are, and I are in bed, and I can't get up to give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, the word persistence, it's, there's, it's kind of an interesting Greek word, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. And then in verse 9 through 10, so it is with your prayers, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. And he gives his teaching, which is a part of the answer. So if you want to know how to pray like Jesus prayed, you then need to be like a disciple of Jesus who comes before him because you have understood what Jesus is like, that you come before a father and you do this and you approach him with confidence. But the second thing is you begin to now shift from yourself and begin to say, God, I want to share and, and I want to pray for others shamelessly. That's part of prayer. And that's what they didn't quite fully understand. So Jesus, when he got away, he prayed, and he prayed about things for himself, and he had this relationship with his father, but there was a certain thing that he was doing in his prayer, and his prayer was for the others, and he would come before his father shamelessly. And so you have to understand the story. The story is of this guy. This guy is here, and Jesus himself, in some ways, could be that guy. He comes down from heaven, and people have all kinds of needs around him. They have all kinds of deep inner needs. They come to him, and Jesus comes to his father, and Jesus prays for him, and he releases his resources on them. There's a little tension in there because you've got this guy up there who's in his house, in his bed. Ever been in bed where you just get in bed? It's really warm. You feel really good, right? And then you realize you didn't lock the doors. Or, you know, in my case, my wife says, did you blow out that candle? Not that I'm really into candles, but anyway. And, and now you have a little bit of a conversation of who's going to get out of bed, right? Because it's just so warm and so good. And this guy is laying in bed. It could be that you see this picture of Jesus, but what you also see is the picture of Jesus giving them the story. And in this story, you place yourself like that guy. You are not the one who went to bed, but you're at home. And at midnight, midnight usually being a time of darkness, it's time, midnight's interesting. It was when, it was midnight when, when um, both Paul and Barnabas were thrown into prison. They talk about midnight hours, hours where you're in your deepest darkness. You feel alone. Do you ever find that in, in the wee hours of night, midnight, and on, all of a sudden your mind is just starting to race? So he comes to him at midnight, and he comes to this guy, and he's, he's saying, you know what, 
I'm, I'm here, I need, I have this need, I'm hungry. And, and, and hospitality in that day, as well as it is today throughout the Middle East, it was required. It wasn't kind of an option. You, if you had the resources, you needed to give the resources to help someone and to meet their needs. Well, he looks at himself, I don't have the resources, I don't have what's needed, but I know someone who does. So he goes over to his friend who he knows because in those smaller towns, you could tell who was baking bread that day. He knows he's baked a bunch of bread. So he's going over to this guy and he's knocking on their door. And he keeps knocking on that door. And he keeps knocking at the door. He keeps pounding on the door. Now he's throwing rocks at the window. They really didn't have windows. But anyway, um, but he just wouldn't stop. This guy was shamelessly audacious, bringing the need of this person before the person who had the resources to do something about it. If you're a follower of Jesus, and you have been given this incredible gift of his forgiveness and love so you can audaciously come into the presence of God, he is now saying, guess what? You also are like that person with needs of people all around you. Who come to you and they knock on the door and they say, you know, I'm kind of, I got this need. It's midnight. I got this going on. And you're going, well, I, I, you know, maybe God gives you something to be able to help a certain need. Maybe you can help loan a car to them or you're in a situation where you can give them a few bucks that they need or, or they, they need some food and you can give them food or, or maybe it's just they've come through a crisis and they're in this crisis and you can sit with them. There are certain things that we can meet, but to tell you the truth, the deepest need of anyone's heart that can only be met by one person, and that is God, has, he has the resources to do it. So he calls us to step in and do what we can and we, we are in that sense Jesus with, with our hands or we, we do what needs to be done, but we also are the people that come before God. And we pray for people shamelessly. And say, God, they need you in this moment. They need you, God. I just want you to think for a second. Part of becoming a person who follows Jesus is understanding the security, the identity we have in Christ so we can live in ways and we should begin to live in ways and step into a faith and a sense of his promise that we can be like children that learn to play. And some of us are doing it pretty well. Some are learning it. Don't go into shame. Stay in the presence of God's love and let him teach you how to playfully live in his presence. But then... I think Jesus says, if you really want to pray like I pray. What I didn't understand is I used to cut off the verses right at verse 4. But you can't do that in this passage. You have to go to verses 5 through 10. You have to see that Jesus is saying, I have put you in earth. You are a hospitality center for the for the resources of God. And there are people who are just steps away from realizing their own spiritual poverty. There are people, you yourself could be here today and you could be one crisis away from spiritual bankruptcy. Face to face with it. And Jesus says, if you want to pray powerfully and effectively, it all begins with your position before God and now it starts moving into this place where you understand the purpose of your life and your prayer is, is to meet and help meet the needs of those around you. And then he uses this word persistence to do this shamelessly, audaciously, to come into the presence of God. And something happens when you do that. 
one of the things I found when I, you know, how many find it easier to be persistent and to keep praying with your own needs versus someone else's? Come on, we all are selfish, right? I'm, I'm not the only one. But I found that when I come before God with a, a continual prayer, what happens often is what I've been praying for, over time, he begins to do some work of change in here. And what I'm praying for begins to change because when I get there and God gives me what I've been praying for, it's not what I thought it was because part of prayer and part of persisting and part of staying before God in prayer is learning that he is all about making you more like him. And so, it's interesting, he says, to persist here. But what I want you to notice is, he he gives that command after this story. Ask, you know, seek, knock. That's how I want you to come before your Father in Heaven. Now, I don't know why you have to pursue that so long. Sometimes you do it because God's doing change in you. Sometimes you do it because God's changing things around here. Sometimes God is doing things in that person's heart. Sometimes he's building your relationship with him. There's all kinds of things that are going on, but Jesus wants to make it very clear. One of the things about praying effectively with power is to persist, to shamelessly come before God audaciously and ask. But here's what he closes with. He wants you to live with this complete trust. Complete trust. Trust God completely. He is not like the guy who has the resources and is sitting in bed and won't answer your need. Listen to what he says here. He concludes it because he knows he gives us tension for a very purpose. He wants, he's kind of going, but man, is that like my father? My father just told me that he's like my dad, etc. No, no, no. Your dad isn't anything like that guy who is sitting in bed not wanting to give you any resources. Here's what you need to understand. And he reads, and he says this in, in verses 11 through 13. Which of the fathers, if you... If your son asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake instead. Here's the picture of the guy upstairs. Or if he asks you for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? I want you to catch this, because this is so important in this passage. And it hit me one time a number of years back. Jesus says that the good gift that your Abba Father is waiting to give you is the Holy Spirit. He just wants you to know his presence and live in it. So I just want to call you in these next few days to take your position boldly with great confidence as you approach God. And make sure, because true power, I think, in prayer comes when you start looking towards the needs of others. Jesus lived, and he would see with great compassion, he would go before his Father in order to see the needs of those that are around him to be met. And then completely trust God. Because when it looks like he's not answering, and he's upstairs, and he's in his warm bed, and he's not doing it, it's not because he's like that. He's not like that at all. He says, even you who are evil, that's a tough word too. I always want to kind of soften that word. Even you who are evil parents, you are evil parents. Really, Jesus? That's what he says. Even some of you who are good don't know the goodness of God. So trust him as you persist. And let's enter these next few days, not with some kind of casual spirit, but let's seek 
God with all our heart because here's what he's promised to give to you. His Holy Spirit. And if the Holy Spirit came in such a way and we participated with him in such a way where we were humble, non-judgmental, loving people who still held to a commitment to truth as best we understood it from his word, I think we would see God do amazing things in the lives of those around us and our own. I'm going to close with this. You guys can come up. We're going to do communion in a second. In Christianity today, it's been called the voice of evangelicalism. Some of you know it's been in the news lately. But it was founded by Billy Graham. And But a few years ago, this is what I want you to understand. Hear this. A few years ago, a very trusted journalist, Tim Stafford, who is a conservative guy, they were hearing of miracles happening in this place called Mozambique with this lady named Heidi Baker, and they thought, well, let's do a cover story. And they did a cover story, and here's what his title was. I mean, this is not a guy, he's a, he's a journalist of high caliber. So Tim Stafford goes there, and, and he, he says, basically, as he um, puts the title, Miracles in Mozambique, and the caption reads, there are credible... Listen, this is Tim. There are credible reports that Heidi Baker heals the deaf and raises the dead. One thing for sure, even if you don't believe that, one thing for sure, she loves the poor like no other in this forgotten corner of the planet. She was asked recently, what do you think people are looking for? And I love what she wrote. I think it's this. They want to see if God is with us. If people can tell God is with you, it will get their attention. If they can see he's walking around with you, living your life with you, it will be so intriguing to them. This is why I cannot and would not ever cover up the manifestations of God's presence in our midst that's happening in Mozambique. We have learned in Mozambique that you could build a beautiful church in a big town and put a great sound system in it and it would just stand empty. People are not interested in going to church here, nor are they much here. But if we go to a village and God starts healing people and reaching into their hearts and meeting their needs, people will come. They will walk barefoot for a week. They will cross rivers and ravines and encounter hunger and danger if they hear Jesus is there. And that is all they want to know, that Jesus is there. They don't care about us and our ministry. They don't want to know why we are there. They just want to know if God is with us. And I don't care what you think about all the manifestations or anything else. I don't want to get caught up on that. All I want you to think is what would it be like if people saw God with us, with you, with me, broken, prone to sin self-centered in so many relationships and yet at the same time hungry seeking desiring our father Abba saying give us this gift pour out your Holy Spirit I'm going to ask the uh, servers to come forward we're going to take communion together